Hey friends, Beyonce may have the same number of hours in the day as you, but are you managing your life as efficiently? If you answered no, I have just the thing. Gemini Coaching's new Life Management Style Quiz. This quiz will help you identify your natural life management style, how to use it to your advantage, and how to avoid some of the not-so-great aspects that come along with it, because everything has its pros and cons. Check out the show notes for a link to the quiz, and in three minutes you will have your life management style and information that will help you run your world like Beyonce starting today. You're listening to Sufficiently Selfish, your weekly dose of putting yourself first, being unapologetically you, and not giving a damn what anyone has to say about it. Hosted by yours truly, Emma Jones, your selfish coach and mentor. So if you're looking to create more space in your life for you, you're in the right place. Welcome back for another episode of Sufficiently Selfish. I have a guest joining me today who, to me, just embodied in so many ways the idea of living selfishly. So, Danielle, thank you for joining me today. It's great to be here. Danielle, can you tell us a little bit about just like a broad strokes of yourself? Well, I uh, currently am a freelance brand and web designer. Um, I work primarily with uh, yoga teachers and wellness professionals. I design brand identities and websites for them. Um, I'm also a yoga teacher myself. So I find that to be like a really good um, way to combine my uh, yoga practice and teaching with like just my love of creativity and um, and all that kind of thing. So yeah, I live in Salt Lake City right now. Uh, I spend a lot of time outdoors, um, hiking and backpacking and skiing and all that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, what else do you want to know? I love that you found a way to marry your passion of yoga with your career in an unconventional way. Unconventional only meaning that instead of becoming just a yoga teacher, you found a way to help serve other yogis who have their own businesses. So like you're able to have your own practice and then support others to create a business, a world for themselves. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I'm like super in love with what I am doing right now. And the thing with with how, like how that came to be is, I guess with yoga, I love practicing yoga. I really enjoy teaching it, but I've always kind of had like a struggle with my own position as a yoga teacher. Like in some ways it feels like my role as a yogi is like a student. And like, I often struggle with like, well, who am I to get up in the front of a classroom and, or, or a yoga studio and, and, and teach and like take the, the seat of the teacher. And I still do teach and I still step into that, that seat whenever I can. Um, but I think there's so many lessons that I've learned from the yoga practice that like really permeate every aspect of my life. And it's really cool to like take that and um, really let it percolate into my personal life and my professional life. And so I've really enjoyed um, marrying the, the practice with the business side of things as well. I think that's great. And actually, like, as you're talking, it makes me think of that Japanese concept of ikigai. I don't know if you've heard of that. No, before. I haven't. 
So it's this Japanese concept, and I am not an expert. So for anyone listening, if you know, look into this yourself, don't just take my word for it. Um, but basically, it's the concept that it's like, imagine a Venn diagram with four circles, and it takes what you love, what the world needs, what you can be paid for, and what you're good at. So I feel like you being a both a, a student and a teacher a practitioner of yoga, and then also being able to support others in, again, like their journey of being yoga instructors and, and taking your other seeming love of, you know, building brands and, and just morphing it all together, the professional, the passion, the mission, the vocation to really make up, you know, the purpose that you're on right now. Yeah. And there was definitely a time in my life when I saw things a lot differently. And I remember in college thinking like, like I went to school for engineering um, and I don't use that. I mean, I like use some of the principles I learned, I guess, but I don't use my engineering degree in any way. Um, I never got a job as a professional engineer aside from an internship in college. But I remember thinking like, oh, I'm going to go to engineering because I really like math and physics. I think that's super cool. And I'm just going to make like a bunch of money and then I'll like have all this money so I can like work for, I don't know, 10 years and then quit and go travel and then finish that and get another job again, make a bunch of money. And then like when I'm retired, I'll have all this money to like do whatever I want. And it's not like about the money really, but it's about the things that I could do with that and like all the opportunities that I could just like take extended time off and like go travel in retirement. <laughs> and then I was like, well, that sounds cool in a way, I guess, but why don't I just do that now? Like why you know, why would I wait decades to have an amazing life when I can find a way to make that life happen for me right now? And so instead of like getting this job that I wasn't super passionate about, but I would be like handsomely rewarded in, I could just do the things that I love. And in the beginning, I wasn't making a ton of money, but I was having a lot of freedom. And like, that was really the most important thing to me is being able to um, shape the structure of my own life instead of, you know, going to like a nine to five job where I had to be at a certain place at a certain time and follow all these rules. I could instead like shape my own life and work for myself in a way that still allowed me the freedom to take off for a week and go backpacking or take off for like six months if I really want to. And so it's definitely been like a shift that's happened over time to get to that point. One of the reasons why I really wanted to have you on the podcast is because while I've met many different people on various entrepreneurial or selfish life journeys, I really felt in a lot of ways like we were kindred spirits. Uh, we took different paths for sure, but I think both of us had this sense within ourselves that we didn't need to follow the same path that everyone was on. And maybe it took us some time to see that. I also, I went to college. I was getting a business degree with that same mentality of, all right, I'm just going to make a shit ton of money and then I'll open up a, you know, an organization and give back and go back to my humanitarian roots. And then along the way, I was like, well, why do I have to get, why do I have to take myself so far from my purpose of helping people mm -hmm. to wait all these years of making money, making money, making money. And then like, oh, I can have a foundation when I can, be now helping people and filling that part of myself that is very much a driver for me. Yeah. And it's so easy for people, um, for all of us to like, just fall into step with whatever seems like 
the quote right thing to do. Like I remember when I was a kid, I would be like really artistic in school and I would like make these really cool posters. Like I remember in the third grade, I was in this program where we had to like study animals and I made this really sweet poster about cheetahs and I was like so proud of it. And people were like, oh, it's so beautiful. Like maybe you'll be an artist someday. But then at some point I got it into my head. Like, I don't know if it was my parents that said this or other people that said it, but I got into my head that like being an artist was not a way to ever make a living. Like you can just like squeak by on that uh, if you're into that, but like, it's not, it's not like a recipe for success. And then I remember, um, years later in high school, I think I was in like ninth grade or something. And my dad was like, Oh, what are you going to go to college for? What are you going to be when you grow up? And I was like, I don't know. And he said like, Oh, you should be an engineer. And I was like, what's that? And he said, Oh, it's a job where you can make a lot of money. And I was like, okay, I don't know what else to do. I guess I'll just do that. And that's literally, I think, I mean, I was really into math and physics. So in a sense, I did want to do it. But I think that's really why I went to school for engineering is literally because of like, this very seemingly inconsequential conversation that I had with my dad in like two minutes in ninth grade. And it was just like, I never took the time to like really figure out what I wanted to do. And it was just the easiest thing is just to do what seemed like the right thing, like the thing that people had been telling me to do. And I know uh, a lot of people from like my high school years and people from my hometown, people in my family, even that just kind of like took that path and just went to school for whatever seemed like a normal thing, a normal successful thing. And then, you know, like got a job doing that and moved to the suburbs and got like a big SUV and just started like doing all that stuff. And that's, it works for some people. It's really fine for some people, but I don't think it's for all of us. And I think a lot of people that kind of live in this lifestyle where um, it's like kind of the American lifestyle. I think a lot of people probably feel trapped in that and just don't know a way to do it any differently. And so they just kind of stick with it. This has never been something that I've wanted to subscribe to is just like doing a thing because it seems like quote the way. So at what point, you know, you, you go to college, you're doing engineering. At what point did you have that realization of, okay, I'm not going to be an engineer. And then what, what did that journey look like? Um, so one of my good friends in college who was also in the engineering program, he started talking about studying abroad and I was like, like what? Like we can study abroad? Like I had known that there were study abroad (laughs) programs, but like I just never like saw myself in them. Like it wasn't a common thing with engineers. It was more like the liberal arts students and like the humanities students would do that kind of stuff, but like non-engineers. And so I was like, holy cow, like I want to do that. Like, how can I do that? And so, um... I signed up. I went to Singapore and did a semester there. Um, I had signed up for all these engineering classes thinking like, oh, this would be a good way to like, you know, continue my college degree, but also like get a taste of the other side of the world. And as soon as I got to Singapore, I was like, what am I doing? Like, I don't want to go to school. (laughs) Like, I just want to, I just want to travel and I just want to like explore this area. And I don't know, maybe like learn a new language and just like eat all this food. And so I cut almost all of my engineering classes. I think I kept one and then took a bunch of liberal arts classes. um, So I could like have way less schoolwork and have more time to like, go to Malaysia for a weekend and then go to Thailand for a week and come back to school. And it was like, the first time I had ever been outside of the country, the first time I'd ever really traveled by myself. And um, like the first time that I had experienced a culture outside of my own outside of America. 
And it was super eye-opening. When I finished that, I uh, knew that I didn't want to be an engineer, um, but I didn't know what else I wanted to do. And so I finished the degree. I was like, well, I think it was in my like third year, maybe. Yeah, I was in my third year of college. And I was like, well, I'll just, you know, finish it off. Um, and then I don't have to, you know, get a job doing this, but it's still going to be a nice degree to have, I guess. And then that that experience abroad really pointed me towards the Peace Corps. And I was like, you know, there's so many problems in the world. Like, I also have kind of like a humanitarian heart. And so I was like, there's so many things wrong with the world right now. Like, how can I put my efforts towards like, you know, building these big machines and like rocket ships and working for NASA and all that? Um, I don't think NASA ever would have hired me anyways, but I was that's kind of where I was thinking. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I would, I would really prefer to spend my um, my efforts and pour my heart into something that is going to make some tiny corner of the world maybe a little bit better place. And so I joined the Peace Corps. I went to Tanzania for two years. Um, I got super fluent in uh, Swahili. Um, I learned, I lived, um, yeah, it was, it was amazing. I didn't know like a lick of Swahili when I went there. And by the end, I was like talking to everybody about everything. And it was great. Yeah, I lived in like a very small little village that had no running water, no electricity. And it was like a total 180 from everything that I knew at home. And I think like, that experience of being pushed so far out of my comfort zone and and just stepping into a territory that's so unfamiliar is like really the thing that drove me away from the like normal path of American life. Like I still live a very American life, don't get me wrong, but it's not like the life that other people have told me is the thing to do. It's just the thing that I want to do for myself. Yeah, being in, in Tanzania and in Singapore and like really having everything familiar just like ripped out from under my feet um i think was like the main driver of that like i was still doing a lot of searching and like a lot of figuring out and a lot of my own introspection um and self-inquiry but i knew enough that um i wasn't satisfied satisfied with where i currently was and so that kind of helped to to keep me going in that direction so again like i see a lot of similarities with our journeys when i studied abroad it just opened my eyes. I studied in India and it was just, as you were saying, like a completely different way of life. Now it wasn't as extreme as Tanzania. I wasn't in a village. I had running water. I had electricity, but you know, there's all these other things that you're dealing with the cultural differences, the traveling alone as a woman in a place that's like supposedly not safe for women to be traveling Mm -hmm. alone in and just all these other things. And I think that I mean, everyone says this, and I think it's so true, being able to expose yourself to all these other aspects of our massive world is like really what changes us on the inside, usually for the better, sometimes not so much. I mean, not everyone who travels has great experiences, but I think for the most part, people who do travel just have their eyes opened in a way that you can't go back from that. It's hard to not have that have a impact on where you go from there once your eyes have been opened in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like once you see the light, there's no turning back. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, I think with travel, like it's a really great way to do that, but it doesn't necessarily have to be like, you know, spending a year in a different country. But I do think that can be a really profound way to like help yourself figure out where you want to go in life and what are the things that really call you 
to be more authentically and like truly yourself. Um, but when I finished Peace Corps, I was like applying for all these jobs and I like didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I was like, maybe I'll just keep working in development and like move to DC. Maybe I could work for the UN someday. That'd be cool. But I wasn't like super stoked about any of that. I was just doing it again, kind of because it was like, well, it seems like a logical next step. And I had a friend in the Peace Corps um, who's still a really good friend of mine today. And she got the idea in her head that she wanted to hike the Appalachian Trail. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. But like, I don't want to commit to six months of backpacking. And I had like backpacked a bunch when I was a kid. My family would like go out west every summer for like two weeks and go visit national parks and go hiking and backpacking. And so that was like something that I really knew I loved and, and grew up with. And somehow she convinced me to do it. And so we hiked the Appalachian Trail together and spent, you know, five and a half months just hiking from Georgia all the way to Maine, um, the whole like 2,000 something wow. miles. And uh, that was like a similar kind of eye opener where it was like now, um, you know, I'm still in the same culture that I grew up in, although, you know, small towns along the Appalachian Mountains are still very different from where I grew up in the Midwest. Um, but most of it was like, like, I remember uh, we started on the first day and did maybe like eight or nine miles or something. And then every day we added on one mile. And I remember when we were doing, I think it was like, we were trying to do like 13 miles or something. And I remember I was so exhausted and so like achy and in pain and my feet hurt and my back hurt. And it was like cold uh, and like rainy. And I sat down on the trail and I was like, oh my God, Sarah, like, if we have to do 14 miles tomorrow, I'm just going to die. Like, I can't do it. Like, there's no way I'm just going to turn around and go home and just leave and just be done with this trail. But we did it anyways. Like, my friend Sarah is like a very good motivator and very persuasive. And uh, and we did it. And then by the end of the trail, I was like hiking 25 miles, no problem. And I was like, looking back to the time when I was crying because 13 miles was like unbearable and then only, you know, just a couple months after that, I was like 13 miles, like, psh, I'll have that done by lunch. And it, it's just like a total transformation. And I think that like that physical challenge and that mental challenge was like another really amazing way for like me to prove to myself or just to show myself like what I was actually capable of. And that was like a really profound lesson in and of itself is that like, oh, if like there's something that you want to do, um, you know, like start your own brand and web design business from nothing if there's something that you want to do and it seems like absolutely impossible like it's gonna suck for a while but that's just sort of like this portal that you have to work through to come out on the other side where you're like just in the zone and like hiking 25 miles no problem um and so that was like another really great lesson that I learned what do you think was the biggest motivator while you were on the Appalachian and when you wanted to give up what, what kept you going? Um, so there was a really great piece of advice that I got from like a total stranger on the trail. I think he was a guy that just lived in a nearby town and was out like day hiking or something. And we ran into him when we were kind of having like, not like an awful day, but just kind of like, not a super great day. And um, he said, uh, never quit on a bad day. And um, like, I've kept that advice ever since, like never quit on a bad day and never give up just because, you know, things have gone wrong for a short time, or even, you know, if they've gone wrong for a while, um, sometimes that's not 
you know, a great reason to quit. Sometimes you have to look at it from a few different angles to figure out how to fix it. But, you know, on the days on the Appalachian Trail, when it was like, had been raining for a week and my feet were really achy and, you know, I was like really low on food and like, I just wanted to eat like six Snickers bars, but I only had two. (laughs) Um, It was just like, wait till tomorrow. And uh, at some point the sun is going to come out again and all of your clothes are going to dry and you're going to like get to the top of this mountain and it's going to be amazing and beautiful. When I finished the Appalachian Trail uh, a few years after, um, that was in 2013. And then in 2016, I hiked the Pacific Crest Trail, um, the whole thing. I did that one all by myself. And then in 2018, I did like a big section in southern Utah. I did a 500 mile backpacking trip between Arches National Park and the Grand Canyon. And that was like the most intense, like just chock full of life lessons because that lesson of like never quit in a bad day came to me again and again and again and again, where like, like hiking in Southern Utah is no joke. Like it's difficult. Um, There's a lot of vertical, just like scrambling in and out of canyons. Um, There's, you know, you'll go like 30 miles where there's not a single source of water. And so you have to plan a lot and carry like way more water than you are ever going to be comfortable with. Um, And so there's always like this, this slog and just like, gosh, this sucks. Like I have to find my way down into this canyon. And what if I go the wrong way? And I would get like really frustrated and really upset. And then I would like cry by myself. Sometimes I would just like climb onto a rock and just sit there and cry and be like, wow, this really sucks. But then if I just kept going after another few miles, I would emerge into this like amazing, beautiful canyon that had like this beautiful river uh, rushing through it. And there was like bighorn sheep across the river that would like look at me and just like climb up the mountainside. And it was just like, amazingly beautiful but the only way that I could get there is to like to push myself through this like awful slog and this like huge challenge um and it's just like it's just the way that it seems to always be you know like the good things don't ever really come easy but the the challenge and the work that you put into it is kind of part of the whole package it's just kind of what needs to be worked through to like find something that's like really authentically and honestly yours. And yeah, it's just kind of, it's just like the way that life works, it seems. How great that you, that you stumbled upon that other hiker who, who gave you this, this lesson of life that you now kind of live by. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, that was in 2013 and you know, it's, it's been something that stuck with me ever since. And, um, it, it applies to like, hiking and backpacking, doing outdoor activities. It applies to things that I've tried to do in my own business. Um, It applies to um, my yoga practice. Um, It applies to my relationship with my partner. Um, It's like, you know, like when just because things are bad, it doesn't mean that it's time to give up, like never quit on a bad day. (laughs) There's, there's sunshine and beauty on the other side of it. Absolutely. I'm curious, did you have any, I mean, the, the word role model is coming to mind, but that's not what I mean at all. Did you have any examples of people in your life that were taking a different path that showed you that it was possible or were you kind of the first on, on this new frontier in, in your circle, in your life? So... I would say growing up, I didn't really, um, I think for the most part, 
most of my family seems to sort of take the like the way that makes sense um but i think a lot of it started to come out uh well i lived in a a partially nudist vegan co-op <laughs> right after college <laughs> oh my god <laughs> um this was between college and before I went to the Peace Corps. I had a friend that was moving to Austin, Texas. And I was like, yeah, like, I don't know what to do before I go to the Peace Corps. Like, I have, I had like nine months before I went. So I was like, yeah, sure, I'll go to Austin. Why not? And so I moved into this co-op and it was just full of all these people that were like, um, they were vegan or vegetarian. And it was like a partially nudist where like you could totally be naked in the house if you wanted to, but no one really ever did it. <laughs> um but they were like anarchists and they like went to Burning Man and like all kinds of things, things that I had been um, tangentially interested in in college, I guess, but just was never really exposed to it. So I didn't know a whole lot about it. So just like, <clears throat> I guess, uh, having this like totally different social circle um, did a lot to influence me. It was very formative, like nine months of my life. But then I think a lot of it too came from my yoga teachers. Um, just because, you know, like my yoga teachers have made, um, yoga their entire lives, uh, teaching yoga and practicing yoga. And I also, in a lot of my, um, yoga practice, like I, I did a lot of, I, like I've started, I've been practicing since 2007, but it wasn't until 2013 that I found a teacher that really super resonated. And I think just like seeing her step into this totally, what is considered like an unconventional lifestyle and just like be just like this force of like energy and power and just like really stand into herself in a really strong way. It was uh, really influential. Um, and all of the yoga teachers that I've um, practiced with and been close to since then have all embodied that in, in the same way. So it's not like, you know, I had any role models that just kind of fell into my lap. Um, but it was that I, I, in a sense, sought them out. Like I had to go looking. And, and for the yoga, it was um, like six years after I started practicing until I found that. So it's not like it was an easy thing to uh for me to find but you know with enough perseverance I eventually found it also think that you know you kind of have to like meet the universe halfway like you can't just wait for things to fall into your lap um you do have to do some of the work to like go out and find it and so I remember um this was 2013 when I finished hiking the Appalachian Trail and I was like okay like the last couple years between, you know, being in the Peace Corps um, and like hiking on this trail, I haven't really been doing as much yoga as I would have liked to. So like now I'm going to, now I'm going to like dedicate myself to it. And so I just like started taking a bunch of different classes with a bunch of different teachers and just like being really experimental and trying things out. And then I remember when I went to this teacher's class, the very first class, I was like, holy cow, this is amazing. Like, this is the thing for me. And like, I just kind of knew it instantly. And, um, once I found that, like, I think I kept going to other classes just to, like, see if there was anything else like it, um, but continued, like, on that thread with this one teacher, and um, just kind of, like, it just felt like the right thing, and so eventually I just stopped going to all the other classes and would only practice with this one teacher, and was just kind of, like, there I was on a path, and I think a lot of times, like, the shifts and, like, the changes aren't so, like, 
they're not always black and white. Like sometimes it's just like over time, your interest starts to gravitate towards one thing and shift towards one thing more than another. And then like without even really knowing of a, a transition, you're just like suddenly on this different path. And you can look back and say like, oh, I'm very, I'm in a very different place now than where I was five years ago. But you never really can like, you can't always pinpoint to like, oh, this was the turning point. Right. Like sometimes it's just like a series of very subtle shifts. And that's how you feel it worked with you. Just a series of subtle shifts that brought you around to where um, you are I today. think, yeah, for me, I think it was a mix. I think, um, I think it was definitely a combination of like subtle things and also like making some really brave decisions, like the decision to just go to a different country when I was, you know, like 21 years old. Um, totally on my own. I actually, so I, I was really excited to go study abroad. And then like when the time came and I had to leave in a few days, um, I remember I was really, really scared. I just started like, and I'm not like a super anxious person, but I started to get like really anxious about it. And I remember when I had to go in to get my vaccinations, um, I fainted on the doctor's chair and, uh, and like, I don't remember hardly anything about the appointment, but I like totally fainted. And the doctor was like, oh, it's probably just the shot. You're fine. And I talked to my aunt about it. And she was like, oh, like fainting is like, it's like the portal. Like, it's like the thing that you have to step through to get to the other side and to get to like this, um, like more realized version of yourself in a sense. And, uh, and I also like cut my hair super short and she was like, yeah, like that's also symbolic of like shedding the old skin and like stepping into something new. And so for me, like just making that decision to go study abroad was like huge for me. And now, like if I were to go across, you know, the world to a different country by myself, I'd be like, yeah, great. I'm super stoked for this. This is awesome. But the first time it, it felt like a major, major decision. And I was like terrified. I was so, so scared. But a lot of and same thing with like hiking the Appalachian Trail and making the decision to do the Pacific Crest Trail, like those have all been like really big decisions that took um, took a lot of work for me just to to do the thing, but also to like decide that I was going to do it. But then other things, you know, for example, like, oh, going to a new, new yoga class, like that's just like a very subtle thing that you don't anticipate is necessarily going to have like a big profound change in your life. It's just like a little something new. Um, but then it's like when you turn, you know, to bring in like the geography and like, like the turning of the compass, like one degree, like if you're looking at a map and you have a compass and you turn it just one degree, if you follow that path that you've set that one degree after so many miles is going to send you like on a totally different course. Like you're going to be mm. way far from where you thought you would be otherwise. And all it took was like one degree of difference. And so I think most of it has been all of that. Like when I started my business, like I had been freelancing, I made the decision to freelance uh, starting in like 2016, but then still had like in-house design jobs. Um, but then I would sort of like shift like, okay, this month I'm going to take on a little more freelance work. And this month I'm going to like focus on this thing in my freelance business. And like those small subtle shifts um, turned this just like side hustle into a full on business where I'm like, more successful now than I was with any in-house design job. So yeah, I think it's definitely, um, there's yeah. got to be a little bit of both. Uh, that has, for me, there's been a little bit of both to get me to where I am and where I want to be today. Yeah, I love that. Um, I have so <laughs> many questions. So you talked about making the brave 
choices and pushing through the fear. And I think that, you know, through the conversations I've had with both clients and just friends alike, fear is a big part of why people end up not following their own paths. What do you think helped you to push through that fear? Not just once, but you set yourself up for big, kind of scary tasks time and time again. And even though, you know, you've hiked before, cool, like you did one trail, but knowing how difficult that was. And, you know, I feel like sometimes once you've done something, sure, it could be less scary, but it could also be more daunting because you know exactly Mm -hmm. what you're facing in a lot of ways. How did you continue to push forward through the fear? Um, I think for me, it's been um, just learning to be okay with the fear and learning to be okay with the discomfort. And um, that's a, a lesson that I learned in the Peace Corps for sure, but also in yoga. Um, and in so in the Peace Corps, for example, like I didn't have electricity and I didn't have running water and like getting to town was like this whole huge ordeal. And I was often very uncomfortable, like walking around a new area where people didn't know me and everyone was staring at me. And it was just like those those are things that are just part of the experience and things that I'm not really going to be able to change. And so there's no sense in like fighting it, but rather just get used to it. um, And just learn to like, this is just what my experience is in a different culture. Like that's, that's just kind of um, things that I need to learn to sit with and be okay with. And so, you know, like having to spend an hour to get my stove warm in Tanzania was like, not a thing for me to get annoyed or upset about, but just, you know, that's just part of it. Just learn to accept it and learn to deal with it. And like hiking on the days when I was like, oh my gosh, like I can't hike another mile. Like, can we just collapse here and camp? It's just like, you know, if your feet hurt, um, there's definitely like a bad pain that you can feel. But if it's just like a little bit of achiness um, and fatigue, like you to a point you can continue to keep going and eventually work past that and through that. Um, and you just kind of like sit with the discomfort, like backpacking is never comfortable. Like it's literally, I've never been on a backpacking trip where I'm like, wow, I feel so like relaxed and comfortable right now. Like I feel amazing, but it's always like, gosh, my backpack is too heavy. Like maybe I shouldn't have packed all this food or like, I don't know about this. Like it's, it's always like that. But then I, I know that the reward on the other side is going to be like, so totally worth it. Um, and then with the yoga practice, um, my teacher, she, she used to say like, uh, making easy poses hard. She would say like, make the doable poses difficult and the difficult poses doable. And so even though, you know, here's this like pretty basic belly down back bend, um, you know, you can do it and it'll be, you don't have to go up that far. It'll be nice and easy or, you can do it and like engage yourself in this way and make the choice to like squeeze your shoulder blades in and down and really draw your belly in and drive the tops of your feet down. And you can, you can add all these things in and like challenge yourself to do it with a little more awareness and a little more like oomph. And, um, with that, like that work is the thing that's going to help you to grow. Some people would be like, well, why would I do my Cobra pose that way? Why don't I just like keep it chill and relaxed. And that's totally fine. Um, And sometimes that's how I practice too. And it's amazing and great. But I think 
when um, I can like engage myself in a certain way and learn to be okay with like the challenge and the discomfort and any fear that I might be feeling, just sit with it. Like I just have to accept it and sit with it, push those feelings aside. Like there's no reason to avoid those feelings. Um, those feelings are what's going to help to like kind of um, like churn something inside of me so that I can access like some, like, I almost want to say like a power that's like deep within myself. The only way that I can access that power that's like super deep within myself is if I make it, if I, if I have to work through that challenge, if I make it challenging and I, if I can sift through that discomfort to find that thing. Yeah. It's never easy to sit with the discomfort or to sit with the challenge, but um, the more you do it, the more used to it you get. And in a sense, you know, the more manageable it becomes over time. But I think that's been like a really key thing for me throughout my whole life is just finding out um, how I can do that. As like growing up and actually for, I'd say like a good portion of my life, maybe half of it, I was the type of person, even though I've always been a problem solver, I would actively say, I don't want to be challenged. Like I wanted things to just be kind of easy breezy and Mm -hmm. because I knew they could be. Um, And then at some point, and I really, I should sit with this and figure out kind of what that turning point was, but I completely shifted to very much not only appreciating the challenges and what I gain from them, but actively looking to challenge myself. You know, there's people that just kind of follow the status quo. Um, I think a lot of it is just culturally ingrained because in our society in in America um, and a lot of Western more like, I guess, quote, prosperous countries, um, everything is designed to make our lives comfortable. And uh, we all a lot of us have our own car and like don't need to take public transportation a lot of us will like you know you can buy your groceries online and have them delivered to your front door you don't even have to leave your house like everything all the products that we buy all the um like the media that we consume everything about like your typical american life is designed to make your life easier and more comfortable and that i really think is like our greatest downfall is that everyone just gets so used to being in this place of comfort and like, I deserve this comfort and I deserve this, this ease of living. And I think all of us do definitely deserve a certain level of ease and comfort, but like, I don't think we can let that just run rampant because then we start to get really complacent and we start to, um, you know, just make our decisions because it's the easiest thing. And like my whole life is easy. Why would I ever want to do anything differently? But I think in order for us to become um, not like fully human, but but to become more like fully who we each individually are as people, like I really think that's a super crucial aspect of it. And so if you're like, if you're like me in high school and you're like, oh, my dad told me to be an engineer, so I'm going to be an engineer. Like, you know, if you can do that. And I probably would have like a wonderful, happy life if I was an engineer, but it wouldn't be me. You know, like it wouldn't be the thing that makes Danielle who she is. It would just be like, it would be a different version of me that doesn't seem quite as real. 
my parents actually took like two very different approaches when I was a kid. My dad was for sure all about comfort, ease, Mm -hmm. fun. And then my mom, she had like, I don't want to say a difficult upbringing, but she was definitely like, it was a little rough and she was like out a lot, out as in out of the house, out in the woods, like back in the days when neighborhood kids would run rampant and people weren't worried about like them being kidnapped or, you know, whatever. Um, And so like, as a kid, I remember my mom would Hmm. lock me out of the house because like I wanted my dad's path, right? I wanted ease, like just sit me down in front of the TV or give me a book and I'm good to go. And my mom would literally lock me out of the house until I had done a challenge, like whether it was, okay, you have to build a snowman or you have to mow the lawn or like whatever it is. It was, she was like always pushing me and I was always pushing back against that. Um, But when I was in India for seven months, which at that point in my life was definitely one of the most challenging things I had faced. And again, I was doing a lot of traveling Mm -hmm. through the country by myself And towards the end of my time in India, my parents came to visit me because I had just fallen so in love with it. And I kept insisting that they had to come experience it for themselves while it was such a big part of me. And I remember, you know, I was like pushing my parents out of their comfort zone. I made them sleep on an overnight train because that's how I had been traveling. And I wanted them to experience that. Um, And like, I was really pushing them to their boundaries and they were going along with it because I was leading them, but I could see how uncomfortable my father was and how, um, it was easier for my mom to kind of fall into these discomforts because she had been used to them. You know, like she wasn't about that cushy lifestyle. She was about challenging and and growing and all these things. But what stands out to me most about that trip and kind of how I knew that traveling was something that was destined for me to just be a constant traveler was I had a I had a difficult existence with my parents as a kid and we weren't really close until I went to college so when I was studying abroad in India I guess that was my junior year of college so I'd been out of the house for three years our relationship was okay but the way that they saw me take charge and handle these situations. I arranged, you know, all of our travel, all of our stay. I was haggling with people along the way. And I just remember like, I I was bartering with Mm -hmm. some guy for some souvenirs they wanted. And I turned around and they were just looking at me with these big eyes, like, whoa, look at who our daughter has become. Like, look at what she is capable of. Look what she's doing. And like they said that they had never seen me so myself than in that moment. And that has already Mm -hmm. like always really stuck with me. I had taken charge. I was doing something I loved. I was pushing myself out of my comfort zone. And because of that, like they saw me shine in a way that they had never seen me be as a person back in the States, back Mm -hmm. in my comfort, back in front of the TV. So that has always really stuck with me as something that okay you know you always want not so much your parents approval that's not something I've ever really looked for but it does always feel great when someone is prideful about you um so I think like for me that's really always pushed me to push myself is knowing that like not only do I feel great doing so but the people who love me and care for me see that that's the best version of me 
So why wouldn't I want to continue Mm -hmm. to be that version of myself? Yeah. And that's such a wonderful thing is like the more that you can um, step into whoever it is that you are individually, like the, the brighter you shine, like people, people will notice, people will see that and people will be attracted to that. And, um, you know, people are really honestly attracted to authenticity and a lot of people can like, you know, can like smell a fake or just like, not like any of us are like fake people, but it's definitely something that is noticeable. And like the people that are living their best lives and like really being themselves and doing uh, like walking the path that they crafted. Um, it's, it's something that you can really pick up on. And it's a great thing to see if you were born inside of this little box and you know, you can make the decision to stay in this box or you could like make the decision to like test this side of the box and push one side of the box out a little bit further and then push the other side of the box out a little bit further and just like kind of keep going and like pushing the box. And then, you know, by the time you're done, you like don't have a box anymore. You have this like weird looking shape that like literally no one else in the world has. Like it's, it's a, it's a U-shaped container, like a, a, a person-shaped container that's unique to you. And um, I, yeah, I really do think it's like those experiences of like stepping outside of your comfort zone and, and accepting those challenges and like taking them, you know, head on um, and like really getting the whole human experience um, is what kind of helps to, to make you shine like that. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Going back to your journey, how did you end up getting into brand design? You you were mm-hmm. in engineering, you went to the Peace Corps, you were backpacking, and then how did you settle into this? It actually, it wasn't really. So I had mentioned when I was a kid, I was always like a little artistic. And so I was always interested in that, but just like never um, was encouraged to pursue it, I suppose. But then um, part of my engineering degree was a technical communication uh, minor. So one of the classes that I had for that minor was um, on uh, kind of like making presentations and um, like professional looking materials and like how do you communicate technical concepts to a non-technical audience? Like let's like make these PowerPoint slides simpler and like distill this information down. And for some reason, part of the curriculum was like design a business card for your engineering firm which I'm pretty sure like no engineer would like ever be asked to do that. But it was great because I got to learn uh, Adobe InDesign and started dabbling in Photoshop. Um, And we got to like make these really cool, like technical, non-technical pamphlets and flyers and stuff. And I was like, wow, this is super fun. Like, I really love this. And so uh, I got that minor. And then uh, it was when I was in Austin living in that uh, naked vegan co-op that um, I was like inspired to be more creative because I was in this community <laughs> of like super creative people. And there was, um, the I, don't, I think it was maybe the first one, but it was the Austin bike poster show. And I was super into bikes. Um, I rode my bike like literally everywhere. And uh, they were like, okay, we just want submissions for um, posters about bikes. <laughs> just submit. And if you, if you make it, you can be in the show and we'll like print a bunch of posters and and sell them and uh I entered and I think the poster was just like a bike wheel with like a shadow of these two like bike lovers like kissing and there was like a little heart on it and it was like really simple and cute and I got accepted <laughs> and I like sold some posters and I was like what like this is crazy like I just made money from just making this pretty looking thing and uh and after that I just kind of like 
just dove right in. Um, I didn't really do a whole lot of freelance work, but I was just doing a lot of things just personally for myself and just kind of teaching myself. I never went to school for design, um, but I taught myself how to get more proficient in Adobe Illustrator and Photoshop and InDesign and just made things that I felt called to make. Um, when I was in the Peace Corps then, there's every uh, Peace Corps class gets its own cookbook for, I think it's like every country, everywhere, every year, the class will make a new cookbook. And um, so ours was just like this little uh, like coil bound, like eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper, just like typed up on Microsoft Word. And I was like, oh man, like I can make this look a lot better. And so um, I like totally redesigned the whole thing and made it look like a legit cookbook and like got this nice binding and had like a really sweet cover image. And um, it was, it was great. And I got like really good feedback from it. And so then um, fast forward to when I came home, uh, finished hiking the Appalachian Trail and was like applying for jobs. And I, I knew that I didn't really want to stay in my hometown, uh, Madison, Wisconsin, but um, I applied for this job for, it was a design job for a fair trade nonprofit. And I wasn't entirely sure that I like wanted the job because I was like, well, it's in Madison. And I don't know if I'm like ready to be a full-time designer anyways. Um, but I was like, whatever, they're going to interview me. I'll just go. Um, and they hired me. They gave me the job. Uh, and they said they're like a catalog company also. They're called <laughs> Serve, S-E-R-R-V. It's an amazing company. They do super great work. And um, they sell fair trade like coffee and also just handcrafts and home goods and really cool things from all over the world. And um, they were like, well, yeah, a big reason that we hired you is because of that cookbook, because we put out multiple catalogs every year and we need a designer who can like handle all of this like data and information to like make the catalog. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. Like I never would have thought that cookbook, which was just something I was doing for fun, would like send me on a path of becoming a professional designer. Yeah. And that's kind of how I got into it. And uh, I learned a lot at this in-house job and continued teaching myself a lot more stuff. YouTube University was really, really great. <laughs> and uh, just that was in 2013. I started working there and I stayed for almost three years before I left to hike the Pacific Crest Trail. Then I finished the PCT and I like lived in my car for uh, nine months or so, and then moved to Salt Lake City, um, got another in-house design job, but was still doing a lot of freelancing on the side. Um, and then eventually I left this last in-house design job that I had and was like, I'm just going to go fully freelance and just do it. Yeah. Kind of how I ended up where I am today. I love that. I think again, like a lot of people are stopped by fear and a lot of people are stopped by not having the experience or not feeling like they're qualified. And I love that like that didn't matter. First of all, like you made yourself qualified. You were creating things, building up those skills for fun, for yourself, for just like, you know, little things that were a part of your life. It wasn't about like, oh my God, I need to build a portfolio. I need to do like free work for people and, and get experience. And, um, and then I can go apply for a job and, and look at what it got you and where mm -hmm. it led you. Incredible. Doing cheap work and building my portfolio and stuff was definitely a part of it. But I will say, I'm not sure how great of a strategy it was, but yeah, it was, it was really just like, here's a thing I really want to do. Let's see where it takes me. And that's seemed to be more of a, a pattern. Um, the thing in my life that has had the, the best result. Like even moving to Salt Lake City, I had literally never been to Salt Lake City before I moved here. And my partner was like, uh, I want to move out west now. Let's go to Salt Lake City maybe. And I was like, okay, cool. That sounds like a nice place. Let's just see how it works. 
and it's been like amazing decision so far and I love it <laughs> that's awesome and that's the thing it's like right. even if you didn't you're not stuck there there's always there's always room to change yeah. to grow to evolve I have a question as a freelancer or I mean mm -hmm. I guess now you're not really freelance you have your own business um how do you maintain your you time compared to the client work and how do you not allow the client work to consume you this is the the thing that i'm working on is like finding a balance that still gives me the level of success that i am striving for and um so for a long time i was just like i was doing a lot of client work and i was like kind of in this mindset where i i knew i wanted to improve my design skills and get like make my client process better and um you know, like find, uh, be more clear on what it is I was doing and for who. And so that's kind of like how I got more into my niche of like yoga and wellness professionals. Um, but I, I'm, and I'm kind of on the tail end of it now is like, I knew that I was going to dedicate like three or four months to just like working a whole bunch and just get super focused on, on my craft and, and on my business. And, um, not to the point where I was like getting super burnt out necessarily, but like I was working long days and I was like not hiking as much. Um, but I was like, okay, I'm going to do this for a short time to like just dive into it. And then I'm going to reevaluate. And so now I'm kind of like in the place where I've reevaluated and I'm like, okay, definitely. I know that that amount of client work was way too much for me. I only want to work this much client work, but like, how can I do that and still, you know, like make enough money and still, continue like a steady stream of clients really hard right now my my thing is to not work on Saturdays like as a as a, a freelancer or as like a solopreneur uh solopreneur um it's really easy to like let the work spill over into like every hour of the day <laughs> um and into the weekends and it's like well you know I don't have any plans <laughs> today like I might as well just like get this thing done and get ahead of it um and so for the last uh, I think like six months, I've told myself, like, I'm not doing any client work on the weekends. Like client work is only Monday through Friday. And if I work on the weekends, it's going to be like things that are internal to my own business. And it's going to be like me getting clarity on things. Okay, that's great. But like, I'm still working on the weekends and I don't really want to be. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to work on Saturdays. <laughs> like Saturdays are my day off, you know, so I'm trying to sort of like incrementally like move you, you know it's like that one degree turn of just like a very small change is like okay now for the next three months I'm not going to work on Saturdays or Sundays and then you know eventually it'll be like okay I'm only going to schedule client work for like Monday Tuesday and Thursday or something and then shut my laptop by 3 p.m. like so there's a lot uh there's sort of like these periods where I am like invested in working a lot and, but I know that's coming and, um, I plan for it and I anticipate it and I like get in the mindset for it. But then after a short period of that, then I shift to something different and kind of like have slowly been chipping away and like setting my boundaries with more and more clarity. So a lot of it is, I think, um, yeah, just setting those boundaries, like knowing what you want and what you need. Um, I think my, schedule for work is different than a lot of other people's schedule for work. Um, I think we each have sort of like our own rhythm. Um, and I'm really, for me, I'm super comfortable with like taking extended 
periods where I like work a bunch and then taking extended time off. And, you know, that's been sort of like with the through hiking is like, I'm going to spend six months hiking this trail and then I'm going to, you know, go to work. And then I'm going to quit my job and spend a few more months hiking this other trail and not think about any obligations other than like where I'm going to sleep that night and get my water. Um, and then I'm going to pull back and, you know, like go back to work. And uh, when I did the hiking in Utah, it was the same thing. And so for me, like having those like cyclical fluctuations has been um, something that's worked really well for me personally. That's actually always how I imagined my work. Even as a young kid, I was like, all right, I'm just going to work. And then I'll like quit that job. And with the money I have saved up, I'll take a year or two off until I need to go back to work. And But it's really nice to have uh, shorter timeframes than like 10 years. Um, because I don't want to work 10 years and like not go on like a big backpacking trip. Yeah. Like I want to do it every year. And so like, how can I make that work? Uh, for what I personally want to do with my life and um, have that fit into my own business. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's how I ended up being a coach. I mean, I always, this is like such a fitting path for me. Like when we talk about Ikigai, mm -hmm. I really feel that this fits my Ikigai, my purpose, but um, something that ever since being in India, and that wasn't even my first mm -hmm. trip abroad, it was just the most profound. Um, I knew that like the States is just not for me. And I think I had that sense growing up. It's just that I hadn't traveled a lot to really know why I felt that way, but being out in the world and then continuing to explore more and more places, more and more cultures. Um, for me, that is one of my main joys in life. So, you know, for you, it's, it's hiking for me. It's, traveling and I built my business to a place where I can do it from anywhere in the world. And it's not just I'm traveling during the holidays or I take off the month of September and that's my time for myself. It's no matter where I am in the world, I am having that joy of having those different experiences as soon as I close my computer or, um, you know, being able to just immerse myself in all of these places, mm -hmm. but without taking, it's still my life. It is still very much a part of my life. It's my, my life has morphed into mm -hmm. that because. Yeah. And I, I think that's I what's so beautiful way. about it is like your life is very different than my life in a lot of ways, but also there's a lot of similarities, but like, you know, as long as each of us can find our own stride and know ourselves enough to know what works. Um, and, you know, like I've, and kind of saying it's not easy to get there. Um, it takes a lot of work to get there. But once you can get to that point where you like know what works for you and know what makes you the most you, um, then it's pretty special. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Danielle, thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure getting to chat with you and connect. You just have so many amazing <laughs> stories. Like even now I have still like a million things that I'm like, oh man, I, I'm so curious. Yeah, but yeah. Like, I yeah, thank you. That was fun. Thank you everyone for tuning into this episode. Stay tuned for more great selfish fun. Thanks for listening to Sufficiently Selfish with me, Emma Jones. New episodes are released on Tuesdays, but in the meantime, you can find me on Instagram at Gemini Coaching. That's G-E-M-I-N-I-I -I Coaching. And 
If you enjoyed the show, go ahead and subscribe. If you really enjoyed it, show your support and leave a review in iTunes. Till next time. Thank you.